Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another Daily Canon weekly podcast. Uh, it's not always been weekly in recent times because, uh, sadly, the uh, configuration of me having a very small child uh, and childcare requirements and also being extremely busy with work has meant that sometimes it's not been possible to arrange a time when I can speak to another human being. But thankfully, that's not the case now. We do have another splendid human being to speak to us. It's Sylvain Jamais, who has not been with us for a little while, but is here Back with a vengeance. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm good today. I'm a bit injured, unfortunately, because I enjoyed my hand, but uh, it means I'm good and available to speak today, which is great. <laughs> so you're currently in France. Where in France are you? Uh, I'm, I'm in the south of Paris. Uh, I went for the weekend to see my family and actually watch uh, two women's football games in France, in the French Cup, and I'm still there because uh, I had to go to the emergency, unfortunately. <laughs> But that's life, you know. Well, I suppose if you're if you if you're going to be laid up somewhere uh, in, in south of Paris is not the worst place to be from from what I remember. Yeah, it's better than being stuck at home in London. <laughs> Although actually, the sun's come out in London today, so hope springs eternal. So yes. Uh, We've got a few things to catch up on. We're not going to go over everything in great detail because things keep happening. The world keeps changing and games keep happening. But we haven't spoken about uh, either the Wolves game or uh, or the Brentford game or the, uh, the victory against Watford at the weekend. I think we may have touched on, on one of those with someone else, uh, probably with Paul. I think we talked about the Brentford game. But, uh, I mean... Without going into too much individual detail about about weeks and weeks ago, how are you feeling about how the team's progressing at the moment before we get into a bit more specifics? Hello, I think uh, actually Arteta has found the formula actually and has improved the team a lot throughout the season because we know when he, we started uh, last summer, we were really not knowing what's going to happen. And uh, I think he's found the foundation and the base with his key players. So the, it's starting to create some good football now. We know one touch, three touch, uh, passing combination. And uh, so it's, it's it's getting a lot better. And I'll be honest, uh, if we finish fourth, uh, that would be a very good season, actually. Yeah, I mean, it would definitely be an overachievement compared to certainly most people's predictions at the start of the season. And, and, and even my optimistic self was thinking that was a bit of a long shot. Uh, thankfully, uh, aided by Manchester United schizophrenia uh, being even more greater than usual, uh, and that their issues seem to be unraveling in a very public way, which is uh, a terrible shame for us to have to watch. Um, obviously, you're someone that takes a, a quite a bit of interest in the tactical side of things, um, both in in the men's game and the women's game. I mean, what do you think of Arteta's shifting of the rebalance of the midfield to sort of party in the more sitting role where he's doing, covering less ground but uh, sort of more in control of that zone and Xhaka being pushed to a slightly unfamiliar box to box eight type role? What, what's your feeling about that? Yeah, I think it's working very well. I mean, for me, party was always good and I didn't like him going around, you know, like uh, sometimes like a headless chicken and uh, and Xhaka as well. It's a uh, I'm, you know, Shaka, I never know what he's going to do, to be honest. You always wonder if he's going to get booked, going to get sent off. Um, he's, he's actually very good and very useful. That's the biggest problem with him. You know, you, you get a player who can be very useful, very important, and then who goes like, you know, on the tangent and do something stupid. And, you know, it's well, that, yes, as you well say. you're always worried he's going to do something stupid. As you say, that's been the conundrum with him that we've seen for five years now of uh, a player that is simultaneously very important to the team. The team's not nearly as good without him, but he's also occasionally a massive liability. And uh, I guess, you know, he's made it pretty clear in recent interviews he's not planning to change. So I guess we're taking the rough with the smooth on that one until until we get upgrade in that position. But how do you think he's adjusting to being pushed further forward? Because obviously it's a bit different to what he's been doing for us for three or four years now. Yeah, he's doing okay. And, you know, he's actually good technically when he wants to be. That's the thing. Mm. He has a very good left foot as well. He can be technical. So it's uh, it's definitely a, a balanced change that's been really well done by Arteta. And you, you can see Arteta is actually flexible, uh, unlike what some people think. So it's uh, it's, uh, it's definitely improvement. And also, uh, I think uh, you have to put Lacazette into the equation as well. Mm. Uh, mm. 
obviously Abema Young is gone, Obama Young is gone, so we have to do something different. And Lacazette brings a lot of things as well in terms of a tactical position and uh, including other players in the play. Yeah, very much so. I mean, uh, sooner or later, I'm going to organise a, a special uh, Lacazette Truth of Podcast and get Lana back on it for as his greatest fan club uh, because he's, you know, he's certainly, despite the complete lack of goals, is deserving deserving of some love. I mean, you know, his goal scoring it, it has vanished, but it's seven assists in the last nine games, and given that some of those games were were games at which the team struggled in, uh, you know, the cup games and also the, the one against City uh, to a degree, um, that's not a bad return. It does mean that he's effectively uh, uh, he's effectively for the balance of the team uh, functionally a sort of a second number ten, but also a, also like a. a a bounce board to, to for, you know, a little tiny bit of the Giroud thing of like play the ball up to me and you might get it back as opposed to, as opposed to all of other striking options in recent times where I have not been able to thrive with some defender up their ass. Um, so it's definitely, definitely giving a greater platform for our midfield to actually be able to get possession in higher up the pitch and, and have slightly more control to the game. Um, I mean, obviously it's been a, another great couple of weeks. I mean, you, you, I know that you watched all of the Wolves game. I mean, without wishing to uh, go into strange metaphors, how was it for you? Uh, obviously, we conceded early, and you know, you think he's gonna, ah, he's back again. You know, stupid defending, and it's gonna be a struggle. And to be fair, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. That we struggled to get back in, and we have a late win. But uh, I think uh, what we saw is a, a willingness to build up play and play proper football. Obviously, uh, we have really good technical players like Saka, Emis Cove, and so on. And they find themselves really in good position and runs forward. So you actually see he's trying to build stuff on uh, TNA as well. So you, you see the combination, like the old football under Wenger, actually, I think. That's what, mm. that's what I see. They're trying. They're creative, uh, more creative than they were earlier in the season, actually. And I think one thing that was, as well as that general trend that we're seeing, I think one thing that was really pleasing about the Wolves victory is it was a, probably the first time in a while we've seen Arteta deploy the bench in a way that was so transformational to the to the result. You know, we've seen Rob Holding come on and us hold out for good results with him bolstering up the defence or maybe bringing another midfielder on to keep a bit more possession. But this was like the, one of the first times we've seen the team desperately chasing a game, him throwing on attacking players, but but then utilising them in a way that made sense. Uh, and uh, rather than it just being a bit of the Alamo, um, it, it, again, up at the Wolves' goal, it was very much, uh, you know, getting that extra mobile body around Lacazette made a massive difference to the team. And suddenly Wolves were having to deal with, having not had to deal with anyone running in behind in central areas before in the game, so that they found themselves having to deal with it. And that led directly to, to the opening goal for us in that game, where Enketia, who put in a much better, much more determined display than we've seen in previous sub-appearances in the recent weeks, just created space for the team, made great run to the channel, intelligent all back to Pepe, who reminded us that for all his flaws, there's magic in those boots when he's got his, when, he, when he's uh, focused and he tends to be quite focused the nearer he gets to the opposition goal. Um, and of course, wonderful interplay between Odegaard and Pepe for Lacazette to almost score the winner with a little help from the goalkeeper. Um, I mean, what was yeah, your take they all on... count when they get in? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, I mean, what was your take on 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 the way the substitutions were deployed and the way we we switched to a kind of back three and, and what have you? Yeah, it's it, it's true. It's it's a new thing for Arteta because we've been saying for. Uh, couple of years at all at other institution and they don't really impact uh, the way we, we hope them to do so I don't know maybe his philosophy has changed but uh, it's uh, it's interesting if he can carry on and do it again but uh, it's uh, it's a strange world you know sometimes managers they, some say you know sometimes the institution is luck and they work and sometimes they don't work out so it's uh, but it certainly worked out this time so. Yeah, and I suppose it was uh, for, for for us uh, uh, who've been around for a while. It was nice to see the uh, the playbook going from being more George Graham to a bit more Arsene Wenger 
in, ter- in terms of uh, the, the way substitutes have been used. And sometimes you just do have to throw on the attacking players, particularly when, as Wolves did, it's clear the opposition is is no longer really trying to get out, despite the fact they've got good enough players to cause a threat on the counter. They'd kind of just got to the point where they weren't even pursuing that option anymore, which is probably in our best interest. Um and of course, part of that was Pepe coming back into the team, having been totally out in the cold. Um, Arteta talks about a change in focus and attitude, or at least alludes to that. And, and of course, he's he's come off the bench um, in other games recently as well. I mean, w- what's your thoughts about Pepe, where he fits in, and and, and how best he's utilised going forwards? Um, honestly, Pepe was really fantastic in France. So I was always surprised that he, he didn't manage to reach the same height uh, with Arsenal. Obviously, uh, Arsenal over, overpaid for him and there were maybe like some corruption deal and in that overpaying. So so it put pressure on him. But he, we all know he's a fantastic winger. He can take players one-on-one. You can create differences, do crosses, pass the ball. And it's, it's honestly, it's one of those players. It's complicated because, again, he's not super consistent. Mm. So... When do you throw him in? Can you start him and then he's going to do like three or four poor games and then you take him out of the team again? So it's, obviously, as a sub, I think it's probably well very well. And also, the starters are, are quite good as well. So, <laughs> yes. You, know, you, you don't want to disrupt your starters when they play well at the end of the day. If the formula is right, <laughs> you don't change the formula. Yeah. And ultimately, we know that although Pepe can do things on the left, um, you know, he's best on the right. And the way that Bukayo Saka's playing at the moment, and particularly his interchange with both Lacazette and Erdegaard, you know, you can't break that up because that's, we've gone from having the right side of our team being a bit of a vacuum that occasionally fart is, but to now being just incredibly consistently dangerous. Um, even 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 in the absence of Tomiyasu, uh, although, you know, Cedric, to be fair, is quite good as an attacking fullback. He's just lacked a bit defensively. Um, no, Cedric. I mean, Cedric's interplay in the final. You know, when Arteta said, you know, and people laughed about it that Cedric was our sort of best fullback in the final third. He was right because Bellerin's best in the middle third. Tommy Asu, who's now joined us, was best. His best sort of back yeah, third, middle third. Yeah. Uh, whereas Cedric's best, best in the. You know, Cedric is a more impactful player the closer you get to the opposition goal. Um, because his delivery from wide areas is actually very strong and he makes intelligent runs off off the ball. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Pepe's not going to get in ahead of Saka, quite rightly, because uh, the little man's form is top, top dollar. But I think what's been really encouraging for, for Pepe is he started doing, a, a something that will make him fit into the team better, but B, also a little bit closer to what he was doing when he was killing it in for Lille, which is just simplifying his play a bit and doing things quicker. And, you know, he's he's now, you know, we've seen three three games off the bench in a row playing one-twos, playing quick combination play, rather than the habit he sort of sunk into of trying to beat four people on his own and, and kind of slowing the play down every time it got to him when, you know, we all know that that's not the best use of his attributes because he's got this great acceleration, great first touch and great finishing ability. And so, you know, he's got to be moving because that's what makes him dangerous, dangerous. If he, if he slows things down, you know, the defenders yeah. in the Premier League are not... You have no use for this when you slow down playing. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, without without wishing to disrespect Ligue 1, defenders in the Premier League are stronger and better than most defenders in Ligue 1. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, uh, so <laughs> they know. It's, and football, huh? you know, it's uh, it's not played the same way the Premier League and the uh, Ligue 1, unfortunately. But you know what I was also thinking is, uh, I think he had, he had a baby recently, so yeah. your priorities can shift, and maybe it, uh, you know something goes uh, got switched in his brain. And yeah. I mean, certainly, certainly, we can probably all point to people we know in in, in normal life whose uh, maturity levels shifted upon upon uh, parenthood, pretty pretty sharpish, um, and and also the fact that he obviously chose to be with the team for the Wolves game, despite the fact his his, his partner had given birth the night before, uh, suggests that perhaps he feels more connected to the group than he did before. Because one thing I always slightly concerned me about Pepe is you particularly his first couple of years, you were like, do you really want to be here? Are you part of 
are you kind of, he always seems a little bit disengaged and not connected to the whole squad but i think he seems you know when you see him on the pitch interacting with his teammates he seems comfortable or more comfortable than he has been previously and maybe maybe having a kid makes you think about you know longer term things in your life etc and it's kind of i think i think the I mean, it, I don't know what your thoughts are, but maybe it kind of relates, as it has with Lacazette, to the departure of Aubameyang and, and a couple others in, in recent years. And that's not to decry Aubameyang, who I think is, by all accounts, a lovely bloke, mostly, except for he has a wobble, a good professional and an excellent player. Um, but he was kind of like the star. And I think maybe his departure has allowed others who took a backseat or felt they had to orbit around him, maybe take a bit more of a... Of a assertive role I mean what do you think oh yeah you know team dynamics are very special and complex so you, you might be 100% right and in that case uh, the limelight has gone from Aubameyang and people have yeah a little more light and space to express themselves now so it does make a difference they can contribute more and yeah it's uh, it's very it's all the little things you know that put together that makes a team and it's finding the right balance and it's not as simple as people think you put 11 guys together and they kick the ball and they find the magic formula and it's a social thing in football when, and people don't always think about it when, mm. when you see football. Well, I guess it's also, you know, you see it in a lot of the teams when you've, when you've got a superstar striker who's, no matter how team-orientated they may be, if you've got someone who is, you know, is a goal scorer, has a reputation for scoring goals, people do tend to defer to them. It's a bit like, the, I mean, I, I guess what makes me think of this is when, like when Thierry Henry finally went to Barcelona and suddenly three or four players in the team took a step up, you know, the, after the summary when he left, you know, suddenly Adebayor became like the man, Van Persie was getting more consistent, you know, Fabregas took on more responsibility as a leader. And you saw, uh, you know, three or four players, as I say, up their level and, and 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 as a result the whole team improved despite the fact that Henri was obviously a, a world-class player um, and uh, maybe there's an element of that here as well oh yeah definitely because you know uh, the feeling before was oh I got the ball oh let's pass it to Thierry he's going to do something mm. it's very easy and uh, yeah he was taking a lot of space so, yeah he's probably exactly the same uh, formula oh, now I can get the ball Instead of having, like, you know, like 15 touches per game, you end up at 25, 30. And it makes a big difference. Huh? <laughs> and I guess also if the rest of the team know that Lacazette's not going to be scoring goals, it, they're more likely to be assertive and get into goal-scoring positions themselves. <laughs> yeah, it's really bizarre because, you know, when he was in front, Lacazette used to score quite a lot as well. No? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 41 season or something in all competitions, something like that. Yeah, he had a great record, so he... His decrease in performance is a bit, uh, well, he's getting older as well, to be fair. Yeah, but, uh, and, and, and uh, you know, for a smaller striker, and the, the Premier League's a tough place to go. <laughs> you know, there's, yeah, some, there's yeah. some big sharks back there. If, if, if you're yeah, not, you'll go you ahead. get kicked a lot. Yeah, well, exactly. You get kicked a lot. And, uh, if you had better referees, it would help as well. But, uh, we could uh, go on uh, with referees for another. Oh well, yes. if we could. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you and I could put together a, a whole uh, a whole series about that. Although it's quite interesting, the uh, uh, as I mentioned in a couple of recent podcasts, uh, I've been having some interaction on Twitter with Keith Hackett, who used to obviously be in charge of the referees, yeah, and, uh, and and he's not a happy bunny about the current state of play at all. <laughs> he he clearly thinks Mike Riley is useless. And he thinks, and he clearly thinks that four or five of the refs at the moment in the Premier League are also not up to it, um, which is kind of reassuring because uh, you know when you're forming those opinions yourself, you're like, am I just oversensitive or biased? You know, am I? Is the fact that I think John Moss and Lee Mason are fucking useless is that just me because they make give decisions against us, or are they useless? And then when someone who's used to be in charge of all the referees says, yeah, they're useless. You're like, okay, cool. <laughs> I feel a bit happier about yeah. my opinions. Yeah, is a point about a lack of accountability is really troubling, actually, because you don't, mm. uh, you'd always expect them, you know, when they have a bad performance to get told off and oh, shown in videos what they were doing wrong and so on, and then correct them. And if it's like it, so they, they don't correct their mistakes, and which we see, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
it's a no there's an arsenal bias as well because we know we get uh, punished a lot uh, yeah yeah well I mean, I mean i think that's due to other institutional issues related to you look at the age of match officials you know most most of them are basic i mean you know premier league referees are mostly men between the age of 35 and 50 from the north of england normally the northwest i mean someone I've been banging on about it for ages, but someone put a map on Twitter actually pinpointing where the refs are from. And it's just like, there's this huge fucking cluster near Manchester. And then it's the further away you get from it. It's just like, oh, there were one in the Northeast and there's one in the Southern half of England. And there's like none for years from the Southeast of England. And there's the last referee who wasn't white was Uriah Rennie. And it's just kind of like, these are going to be factors because, you know, I don't think the referees are bent and I don't think that they, I don't think that they realize that they're biased, but we're all biased. It's a human condition. Um, and, you know, we see it in the decision-making, you know, it's, it's, although it's quite funny seeing that, uh, that seeing Man United slowly come to terms with the fact they don't get every decision in every game, like, like the good old days for them. You know, now Ferguson's gone. They occasionally, they occasionally don't get every penalty they dive for, even if Bruno Fernandes is falling on the floor. Uh, so, you know, long may, long may that direction of travel continue. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously the Wolves game was a great triumph of perseverance and was a great euphor- euphoria at the end, particularly as like, Wolves up to that point were looking like a major threat for the top four, really consistent performances. And we've basically kicked them in the bollocks. And since then they've, they've lost a couple of, or they've lost their next game after that as well. And, and look like their confidence has been shaken a little. So that's one threat sort of boom, kicked out, kicked out of the race. Um, but what did you make of the Watford game? Cause that was a slightly different vibe. Um, much more, in a way, although we were totally dominant for long periods, it, there were elements of it that felt... Do you remember that game when Unai Emery was in charge against Watford? And it was like a three-all draw or something. And like the structure just kind of broke down and it was a bit basketball. Um, that was a long time ago, I don't think. It was a long time ago, yeah. English football at the time, no, I okay, was watching football in France. <laughs> I guess that one stuck in my mind because when I saw that Unai Emery, it was like Unai Emery... Not not that long before he got given the elbow, but for me that was the game where I lost faith in Unai Emery. It was before the really bad run of results, but it's just I was watching a game going. You know, there's lots of talent here, but nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. And there was a, a couple of points during the game against Watford where a bit of that crept in, and Arteta was losing his shit on the sidelines, <laughs> um, quite rightly so. But obviously, we scored three fantastic goals. So what's what's your feeling about the Watford game? Uh, first, uh, you know, uh, from I saw the highlight, uh, the score after like 15 seconds, and I'm like, nah, <laughs> you know, not again, same as Wolf. And oh, it's not given. Oh, thank you very much. You know, <laughs> thank just, you, VAR. <laughs> just, yes. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, the, the fantastic goal, you know, that's the, the real Arsenal football you want to see, one touch to touch, quick movement, fantastic finish. Like, as it uh, really grateful, maybe to us it. Plus, you know, the, the technical guys in the middle, when you, you get guys like this, it's, it's easy to play football, actually, and it's enjoyable for all of us as well. So that's what I thought, you know, good creative football. And then uh, we, see them, we see some panic as well in the defending, which is, <laughs> yeah. which is you know, that's, that's still the same problem at times. Not as often as before. I think that the biggest difference, sometimes we had like uh, probably 45, 50 minutes of the uh, Defending that wasn't stable, and those days it's a lot less. But uh, there was still moments like, uh, why don't they cross the clear the cross? And what are they doing? You know, I think there's yeah. I mean, I don't know what you think. I think there's a few elements of the defensive aspect. I mean, it's firstly, obviously, we're now having the ball in the attacking areas a lot more, which means when mm-hmm. opposition counter on us, they've got a bit more space to come into. So it's, our defenders have a harder job than than they did eight ten weeks ago. Um, I think it's also. With Jacob being pushed further forward, even though he's not a defensive titan, he adds a solidity there, which gives people comfort, you know, knowing that there's someone else that is at least defensively orientated. And I think also, you know, it's the Tommy Asu's out, and you know, Cedric's been playing well, but Tommy Asu is so, so good defensively that he just makes just makes everyone else feel more comfortable. You know what I mean? Because he can cover inside. 
he can cover the flank and he's and he you can give him the ball and he can play it out with both feet so it just it just kind of creates a, a calmness and a confidence there that and i think oh, yeah. i think gabriel do have to, sorry go ahead it's fantastic i don't know uh, how we managed to find him and that's a really when a fantastic buy when you think about it yeah i mean and I, I felt quite smug because when Spurs were going to buy him, I was like, because I'd actually seen the player a few times. And when Spurs were going to buy him, I was like, oh shit, he might be really good for them. And then when that fell through and we were going for him, I was like, yes, let them have Emerson Royale because he's good going forward, but he can't fucking defend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, I just, I, I, like Feden Bologna, I just told me, yes, I always Im- impressed me with his solidity, uh, but also just that thing of like, he can pass the ball with both feet. And that just gives you so many more options, you know, as we've seen Man City with Cancelo, you know, using that for everything it's worth. I mean, Tommy Asu's never going to bring that going forward, but it just allows you to play out more. And of course, as soon as he came in the team, then everyone's like, oh yeah, shit, maybe Hector Bellerin wasn't quite as good as we thought he was. <laughs> very different player, but... Yeah, yeah, was, yeah very good on counter-attacking Hector Bellerin and speed and technical. But yeah, uh, Tommy Asu is more solid. Yeah, like, like solid, solid, like <laughs> yeah. He's a brick wall, that guy. Yeah. Well, it's like well, like there was like even when we lost to Man City, like Raheem Sterling barely got a kick, um, yeah. and that doesn't happen very often. Um, I mean, the other thing I wanted to sort of touch on from the Watford game is what I really enjoyed is as well as the, the technical one-touch football, the goals all had different great elements about them. I mean, obviously, Erdegaard, Saka, Erdegaard, goal. Great, because Erdegaard's getting into scoring positions now, which he's been which he's been tasked with doing. And good to see him finish calmly in that situation. The second goal was was a bit different because it was, came from Saka winning the ball back high up the pitch, uh, which is obviously something that the team started doing a bit more. And the third one was, was a triumph of great finishing, good one-touch play, and also quick thinking from Arteta on the touchline. Um, mm-hmm. I've some on Sky Sports, they were trying to bitch about that a bit, kind of trying to say that he'd broken the rules, even though while they were saying it, Dermot Gallagher, ex-referee, says that he hadn't broken the rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the TV bandits are always trying to find something wrong, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess sort of looking forward, uh, how are you feeling about the top four race? Uh, honestly, I think it's great, huh? to be honest. Huh? We're, we're in good position. Huh? It's, a, it's, a lot, uh, it's a lot better than I was expecting uh, even like two months ago, to be honest. We were mm-hmm. far behind and uh, struggling and couldn't find the magic formula. Nowadays, if nobody gets injured and... Everything uh, going to plan. I think we're going to end up in, in fourth place, which is a, which would be a super achievement. Huh? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we we can see by the fact the fixtures haven't been rearranged that Sky are desperately hoping that they can make uh, Spurs against us at, at White Hart Lane a kind of fourth place shootout uh, for towards the back end of the season. So I guess what we have to do is just get enough points between now and then that it doesn't matter. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, TV are always uh, manipulating fixtures, unfortunately. It's, uh, it's part and parcel of the money, money, money deals. They even do it for women's now. So, yeah, yeah. I, I was about to ask you about that. Yeah. Um, well, we'll touch on that shortly. Um, yeah, yeah. So, with the, yeah, with obviously the teams competing against us for that position, What's your thoughts about our rivals? Who do you think we should be worried about? Who do you think, who are you feeling quite calm about? You know, it's it's definitely West Ham, Man United, Spurs are, are, are kind of the most threatening. I mean, what's your thoughts? I thought Spurs were bad, to be honest. And then yesterday they won 5 0. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell happened? Because, you know, they're, they're I think, I think that says more about Frank Lampard taking over at Everton than it does about Spurs, in all honesty. <laughs> Maybe no, because you know Antonio Conte has been moaning a lot about uh, the work at Spurs. So you know, you know something is wrong over there. I mean, we all know it's wrong over there. But Conte has really been uh, on it like for for weeks and weeks, uh, complaining about the uh, working at Spurs. So that's why I thought you know they are not dangerous. But uh, if they start waking up, uh, West Ham, uh, honestly, they they're overachieving at the moment. So. Mm. They shouldn't be that good. 
<laughs> oh yeah, that'd be dangerous, but I don't think they'll be consistent enough. And good old United, uh, oops, but they're a mess as well, huh, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's fascinating that because they appear to be getting messier every week. You like you were thinking, you're thinking, you're watching them. Okay, by the end of last season, you're thinking, okay, Solskjaer is making some progress. They've had some good results. We can see what the flaws are. Mm-hmm. Then then they bought Ronaldo, and you're like, okay. I mean, yeah, he's obviously still a, a great goal scorer, but but is that what the team needed? And then they spent all that money on Sancho, and you're like, yeah, he's a fantastic player, but but you you need a right winger, and he's not a right winger. <laughs> um, it's like they're, they're more interested in signing big names than actually working out what their team is. And then yeah, really, they're paying at players, and they don't know how to use them, basically. Oh, I mean, it's like they're... In, it's like they're any good results they get are just off the basis of basically star talent. But you look at the team, and you're like, I don't even know. Like, none of the coaches know what their team is. Yeah, that's, I think that's the main problem. Uh, that guy Ragnick, he doesn't know. He doesn't know his team. Huh? Well, he's he just trying know. to find who the fuck's willing to run around for ninety minutes rather than coasting. <laughs> he's finding that not as many of them as he wants are going to run around for ninety minutes. <laughs> That's the other worry, uh, I think, over there. Just, um, you see so many leaks in the press as well, so it's clearly something is really, really wrong over there. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna... consistent, being consistent, basically. But it's also like some, some of the mismanagement of players. I mean, Marcus Rashford looks shot at the moment. I mean, he looks like it. He looks like he, he, I mean, you know he's talented, so you know that sooner or later he'll have a game where he has a great game and scores goals and whatever. But at the moment, he just looks like someone who's totally lost. And there's rumours that he's like, well, if I don't get to play more, then I'm going to try and find somewhere else to go. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's really a mess, huh, honestly. So it's, it's no surprise people want to get out of the ship, huh? But it's also like, again, for, for, I guess for him, I think it's been said elsewhere, but, you know, Man City, against Man City, they they effectively played two central midfielders or two attacking midfielders up front and didn't play Rashford, despite the fact they had, like, no strikers. You know, there were two that weren't available and one might end up in prison at this rate, if depending on what happens with that. And the fourth one's now playing in Seville. Uh, and he still can't get a game up front. And you're like, wow, what's, what the hell's happened there? Because... Last season, a bit inconsistent, but a con- consistent, you know, a dangerous player. Um, hey ho! Yeah. Yeah. They can carry on as long as they want, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's wonderful. We for- will take it. Obviously, they've got such great financial resources with all these oligarchs left, right, and centre, um, which we'll touch on in a second. And oil barons. Uh, <laughs> one of the super rich teams going through a bad period is is definitely good for us. Yeah. So we're touching on someone else who may yet be someone we're competing with, who may have their own issues. What do you make of the Chelsea situation, given obviously Mr. Abramovich will be no longer connected with the club relatively soon? Uh, honestly, it's, uh, I think on the football side, uh, at the moment, it shouldn't really affect them besides being stressed because um, as long as there's no failure, the backing is still the same. Once it happens, yeah, it could be very unstable. Huh? We don't know what the new owners would do because uh, Abramovich has is that like one point six billion in total he spent huh? yeah, on yeah, the yeah. team in twenty years. That's uh, that's an amazing way of throwing money, you know. Yeah, I mean it's a eighty million loss a year, isn't it? You know. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a competitive advantage uh, <laughs> you don't get in other clubs. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, well, also that I guess the thing is, is under Abramovich, they've had a way of doing things, and which has been very monolithic. You know, he's had his one or two trusted lieutenants, I guess, and that's obviously going to change. Well, whoever comes in, what I find interesting is who's going to want to buy Chelsea, and what are they going to want to do with it? Because he's already done. He's already used. He's wrung, I suppose, the sports washing out of Chelsea. You know, he's spent his money protecting his investments from Russia, trying to using it as an insurance against assassination, whilst also getting himself a nice, nice big Western Europe profile um, by taking a team that were perennial underachievers, but in a great location, and turning them into a super powerful team. 
but if someone else buys it, they're going to have to spend a shitload of money just maintaining what there is. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a complicated. Uh, I mean, the, I think there were a lot of American buyers mm. from what I've read. So. Yeah, yes. Well, this so, yeah, yeah. spending is crazy over there. So unless they reduce the budget, then yeah, it's going to be, they might find life a bit different uh, unless the new owner is really as wide uh, <laughs> pocket money available to. Yeah, because, well, the thing is, if it's an American only, they're not going to be just throwing money away because that's not how they do things if they're an American. Yeah, we've we seen it everywhere. But also you're not going to get one of those oil states buying it because the, the Chelsea reputation boost has already been milked by Abramovich. You know, Newcastle, that made perfect sense. Massive club, captive audience, total underachievers, if you go there and turn them around, you're going to be like fucking Jesus in that part of the country. Whereas uh, Chelsea, okay, you could turn up and put in two hundred million pounds a year into it, and you're not. They go, okay, they'll be kind of the same as what they've been. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Um, obviously, we hope that uh, it takes Mr. Bramwich a little while to sell the club, because uh, I'm sure people are going to be trying to lowball him, um, so the uncertainty can continue. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, touching it's on that. I think the club is cheap to buy as well. No, 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 no. Well, I know that. I know that two years ago they were talking about wanting four billion for it or something. I think that price may be a little cheaper now, given current events. And of course, uh, on that note, um, big shout out to anyone with any connections to the Ukraine. Uh, I know one or two people in my own life who are either ukrainian or have lived in ukraine and yeah it's it's horrible um uh, but it does also make us quite good glad that anisha usmanov fucked off yeah well of course yeah. he's been bankrolling everton so yeah. and everton are already everton have been bankrolled have wasted all the money aren't allowed to spend any more due to FFP and at the moment are going to re- like seriously endanger relegation. So, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess be careful what we wish for. Um, yeah. It's tricky having an ownership in the Premier League. Yeah? So you never know what you get. Yeah, exactly. And, and certainly I think it might have uh, woken up a few more fans around the country and around the world to the dangers of just getting a rich owner uh, which, which perhaps was something that some of us were rather more wary of in the first place. So obviously, um, as anyone that listens to this podcast or reads the Daily Cam website knows, you are definitely our specialist when it comes to women's football, uh, being someone that probably attends more women's games than almost anyone I've ever heard of. Uh, indeed, have been doing so in France uh, in your short break there. Um and after a bit of a wobble, it seems seems like Arsenal's women have returned to something like form. Um, I mean, just just sort of run us through. Well, just your impressions since Christmas. Obviously, there's been a couple of good results, but there was a bit there was a bit of a, a wobble, wasn't there? Oh yeah, we had a super start of the season, being unbeaten for uh, four or five months. Then we got trashed by Barcelona, and then he went downhill from there. Mm. We had a few losses uh, and draws and. It just, then it uh, it's coming back now since um, the January break. And one of the reasons behind this is uh, the team has uh, bought four players uh, in the January transfer window, which made uh, a big impact, actually. So so who are those four players? I know about Blackstinius, obviously, is a high-profile yeah. one. But who else came in? So Blackstinius came at, up front. Uh, Laura Wienreuter are right back. Because we sold the, uh, I mean, we loaned an patent to Aston Villa because she wasn't getting any game and she <laughs> was not very happy with it. Uh, we got a left footed centre back, which I've been asking for for a few years now, with Rafael from Brazil. Ah, uh, yes, yes, of course, yeah. And who else did we get? Uh, I got memory blank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we got four, because I, I know it because. Uh, in the Champions League for the quarterfinals, you can only have three players. Mm-mm-mm. So one of them is going to end up actually not being picked up for the Champions League quarterfinal against Wolfsburg. That comes at the end of the month on the 23rd at the Emirates Stadium and 30th away at Wolfsburg. Mm-mm. 
So, so we, and uh, what happened also is uh, Laura, uh, Leah Williamson coming back from injury. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. With uh, Raphael Souza made uh, a huge impact on our defense. So we have a, a stable back for now. So uh, and Leah's been in the goals. Are getting better. And Leah Williamson's been in the goals uh, last, the last, you know, either side of her injury. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know she's uh, she's become a leader in the team. So if, uh, if your leader is out for, uh, she was out for a long period. Mm, mm. Yeah, the defensive uh, setup was totally disorganized. He, he tried at least four or five different partnerships at centre back, uh, and none of them worked out basically. So, well, of course she's been uh, captaining England as well. So you know, yeah, she's uh, she's becoming very much uh, a high profile player now, and mm. it's uh, it's quite strange to be honest. As a young little uh, seventeen-year-old, I saw the U seventeen team and grow and grow and grow that quickly. Well, I mean, isn't there photos and, and footage of her like being like a, a mascot or something for mm-hmm. you know meeting Kelly Smith like fifteen years ago or something like that? So, uh, what is quite quite a journey for her already? Um, I mean, I, one thing I sort of found interesting about this season, I wanted to get your thoughts on. Uh, before we talk specifically about results, is how the front players have been rotating a lot more. Um, you know, bef- beforehand it was like Miedemar would play every single game from the start for 90 minutes, you know, kind of thing. And that's not been the case, despite her amazing uh, abilities and track record. So, I mean, just talk us through that a little bit. Yeah, there's a, a multiple factor in this. Obviously, we signed a lot of uh, good players, so we have like six or seven forwards available. Mm-hmm. So you have to give them a, a lot of games. And also, in the, the, the rest, that you get actually five subs. So you can do like we did on Sunday against Birmingham, a triple sub of three forwards uh, without any problem now. Mm-hmm. So it does give a lot of... Uh, choices of rotation for the coach and also all the forwards are quite good too so you don't have a loss of input when you when you actually don't play Midema I thought that'd be excellent when she came on you, you get McKay we can play from Paris when she doesn't uh, dive a little bit too much <laughs> well, that, well that's one thing isn't it it's interesting how Paris was she was such a high profile addition in the summer but hasn't really had that much of an impact has she yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a bit uh, difficult for her. Uh, like Black Stenius, who came in in January and just clicked her straight away from Medium and the other forwards. It's uh, I mean, she's an English player, so she's obviously needed because we need uh, enough uh, homegrown players too. Mm-hmm. I think the men's there is a room and we need eight uh, homegrown players. So that was a that was, a, and also she's a Paris is a good backup, to be honest. So in a lesser important game, you can start her and she can come as a sub exactly like Pepe as well. So, <laughs> she's a, yeah, yeah, the, and all, yeah, definitely Jonas uh, Seideval uh, does rotate a bit more than Joe Montemuro because, he, because mm. he, he has more options, basically. We don't have any long-term injuries like uh, the previous two or three seasons. At yeah. the moment, we have actually have too many players uh, <laughs> to put in the match day squad of 20. I mean, had, speaking of injuries, how has how's Jordan Nobbs looked since coming back from injuries? Because obviously before her injury, she was absolutely at her peak, you know, probably the best midfielder in the country by the time she got injured. I mean, how's, how's her comeback been? Uh, it's quite interesting because um, from January, she came back and she started all the games and was in good form. And then when Black Stenius was uh, eligible to play, the goal switched to 4 4 Mm. Pairing Black Stenius and uh, Midima with Midima, you know, more or less a nine and a half or number 10. Yeah. Which means we lost one midfielder. <laughs> yeah. So we lost one midfielder position uh, available and Nobs uh, got, got the note to go back to the bench, basically, because he, you can't drop uh, Black Stenius and Midima the way they're playing at the moment. So actually, Jordan is. Uh, has limited game time, and even if she got like a 250th game for the club, it's a, it's a bit more difficult now because he, he, the coach can't really drop those two up front, you know. So and so, who's who, who's partnering Kim Little in midfield? Uh, Leah Velti now is partnering uh, Kim. At the beginning of the season, Frida Manum was playing uh, and starting mm-hmm. every game, and 
in the last uh, few games, uh, Velti has actually taken over because she she does offer more balance uh, alongside Little and because you get so many attacking players as well on the pitch, you get the strikers and obviously our two wingers are attacking wingers and uh, yeah. the fullbacks are also attacking players. So you need a lot of people to control, the, especially on defensive transitions, where which is one of our weaknesses. So. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just going to say, you know, speaking of attacking players, I, who could have seen, say, three years ago, the impact that Katie McCabe's having in, in regularly in the final third for Arsenal at the moment? I mean, you know, I, I, certainly I couldn't. I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts were. Uh, she's been so consistent for two seasons now. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, and uh, honestly, at one point, she was going to sign for Liverpool. Uh, mm, mm, I remember. Coming back from uh, from her loan at Glasgow City and German Timur arrived and kept her in and confidence in her and she went forward from this. You know, it's crazy a little change of manager because Pedro wasn't uh, really confident in her and Joe comes in, he starts her and she just goes from there and grows and grows and grows. So, yeah, it's... Uh, Am I right in thinking that she was left back for quite a long time? Yeah, she's a originally she's a winger. Right. Um, okay, but she was playing left back for us. Okay. Yeah, because we had so many you know injuries. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, so she's, she's and she's been so good at left back. You know, number of assists she's made and creativity. So yeah, it's uh, we are lucky to have her. To be honest, she's uh, actually at the moment he. She's playing more up front with uh, Steph Catley, the Australian defender, playing at left back right now. Yeah, so, and she's scoring a lot of goals and really great goals as well. Really pure balls. Oh, yeah, yeah. She, she's really uh, technical. She scored like uh, back in a few months ago uh, at Villa Away. She scored a lot for like 45 yards as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she just got the ball, the goalkeeper mistake it. 45 yards. Bing! <laughs> yeah. Easy as you like it when you're a good footballer. Yeah, and then but she's she's scoring good goals every other week, you know, really good pure strikes every other week at the moment, and it's it's you know it's great because obviously she had some difficulties and but is a very popular player uh, as well. Um, I mean, obviously the strength of the squad means that even you know the likes of Lisa Evans has gone on loan to West Ham. Um, I don't know how that's worked out for her. I don't, I'm not going to pretend that I follow West Ham ladies. Uh, yeah. It's worked out well. She had a few injuries, but uh, she's uh, she's very happy over there. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if she signs them permanently. It depends if they can get because she's out of contract basically. Ah, okay, right. There's a lot of players who are out of contract at the end of the season. So I wouldn't be surprised if we would like five, six, or seven players who are all free to go. Yeah, because is it is it is Viv's contract up at the end of the season, Miedema? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and obviously she's a superstar so you know there's going to be a lot of European giants sniffing oh around. yeah Regent has been busy for a year and a half to be honest so it's a, it's a it's a complicated situation because obviously she said it many times she wants to compete and win the Champions League so mm. let's be honest we are not at the level to, to win it this year no. no no well Barcelona have shown that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're so much better than us. We have a good team. I'm sure we can beat Wolfsburg, and and then the next one would be Barcelona again. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because Barcelona have really become the new superpower in women's football, haven't they? They've probably even surpassed Lyon, maybe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And Lyon have been regressing in the last few years, unfortunately for them. So, because uh, they were really advanced, uh, more good quality training, good players, and. Everybody's been catching up buying good players and training full time. And so the advantage from Lyon has gone, and they also had a lot of uh, very average managers. Mm-hmm. One of them ended up at Everton, actually, oh, okay. and got back very quickly. <laughs> there we are. So, I mean, looking forward to the season, obviously, it's it's a two horse race in the Women's Premier League or the Women's Super League. Um, What's your thinking? Because obviously Chelsea are hanging around. They're not going anywhere. And, you know, I mean, Arsenal needed the draw that they got there. Um, I mean, what? yeah, just I, I guess what, what what's your instinct for the rest of the season? Because there's, there's still a very strong Chelsea and obviously have done very well in recent years. 
Yeah, so um, like even like a week or two ago, I would have said Chelsea were favorite to win the title. But, uh, you know, obviously they lost the County Cup final to Man, Man City uh, 3-1 and they were not performing super well. Um, and also now we are eight point clear at the moment. Yeah, but Chelsea got three games in hand though. Yeah, they got three games in hand. But at the end of the day, you got three games in hand. Doesn't mean you're going to get nine points. It's true. Mind you. Yeah, actually, no, to be fair, the Women's Super League's been more competitive this year, hasn't it? You know, yeah, it's been so, quite monolithic in previous years with, with two or three teams being so far ahead of everyone else, but not so much this time. Yeah, so I think they can slip up and draw one of those three games, basically. So in that case, we put us back in the driving seat. So actually, I'm more confident like a month ago that uh, we can do it. Uh, we just wait for Chelsea to slip up, basically. Mm, mm, mm. So it's a, it's definitely we're definitely going to qualify for the Champions League because they're all eight or nine points behind. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're not going to catch us up, and we're definitely going to finish top two. Yeah, but yeah. We, it's really fifty fifty to be honest. Now. It's, um... Well, uh, speaking of uh, the contract expiring, Vivian Miedemar, she's become the first player in the last game to reach 100 Women's Super League goals as well. So is the highest goal scorer in Women's Super League history. So it's nice nice to have a Arsenal player setting, setting records again. We always approve of such things. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, Andre, the contribution in 83 days, uh, 83 games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrifying, well, yeah. really. <laughs> Goals <laughs> and 47 assists or something like that. It's just uh, crazy numbers. And she had her first season uh, in 2017. I think that was quite bad, actually, by her standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah. She was coming back uh, injured from the Euros in the Netherlands and she, she, was, she wasn't very good that first year. So if she had uh, all the season after the next year, like she would have even more, actually. God, imagine how good this Arsenal men's team would be if they had the male equivalent. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they would just uh, put it on a plate for her and she just put them in, basically. Well, it's also that, as you say, she's played more of a nine-and-a-half role this year and, and has such a strong all-round game as well. You know, her intelligence, and as I say, without wishing to mention people who shouldn't be named, you know, the comparison with Harry Kane, now he seems to be suffering some form again, is not an idle one. Um, mm-hmm. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, we can see the way that the team is set up for Arsenal, having a, a, a strong centre forward who can both haul the ball up, pull strings from deep, but also finish impeccably would uh, <laughs> would make this team uh, probably 10 or 15 points better off a season. Oh, yeah, definitely. She, she's a special player. I think in the men's game, she'd be around 150 million, honestly. Yeah, yeah, no, well, I mean... She, I mean, there's no doubt that she's probably one of what one of the best five strikers in world football and women's football now. Mm-hmm. Even top three. Top three. Okay. Who, who yeah. else? Who who else is it, it rounds out that top three for you? <laughs> uh, Sam Kerr, definitely. And uh, I'm not sure about the third one, but uh, Sam Kerr is there. She's absolutely phenomenal too. Yeah. What about that? Um, I forgot. I forget your name. The the, the one at Leon who got quite seriously injured. But... Oh, Adair Gerbergia. Adair Gerberg is also yeah. somebody very special. She's just, she's just coming back from injuries now, so she's... Yeah. If, if Leon gets uh, Midema, Midema and Gerberg, uh, good luck for all the uh, Division One team defending against those two. Yeah, well, it ain't going to happen, kids. <laughs> Uh, hopefully not, but uh, no, no. I mean, there are so many options, you know. What, I'm, what I mean is, if they two get together, then the, the rest of the women's league uh, can forget about it. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, but yeah, we, and we're lucky we stand Black Stenius who really complement uh, Midima very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Black Stenius is, is 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 more mobile, isn't she? Mm. Yeah, yeah, she's a quick, fast, and she's uh, on the last shoulder of the defender and. She just ran, then they don't catch her back. So uh, just while we're recording, actually, there's been breaking news that the Premier League has suspended its broadcasting deal with Russia. Uh, only about a week too late, but I guess it's the <laughs> money talks. Um, <laughs> and be, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, you know, the, the more that this invasion, war, whatever you want to call it, carries on, the more universal the reaction is becoming. Um so obviously, there, you know, without getting into the politics of it or the potential 
military ramifications. It's going to change a lot of things about a lot of a, a vast areas of our lives. Everything from energy bills to you know perhaps TV football income to uh, you know people connected to Russia and disconnecting from Russia to the departure of oligarchs. So it's uh, you know absolutely seismic and in all areas of life. And that's even assuming Putin doesn't do anything too fucking insane. Um, so yeah, uh, big, big things to concern ourselves with, but equally not to concern ourselves solely with because uh, Arsenal are playing Leicester City at 4.30 on Sunday. Leicester City, who of course typically have finally for the first time ages remembered how to score some goals or, well, only one against Leeds who everyone else has been stuffing, but, um, <laughs> but they've, yeah. they've started... They started winning again. Um, how do you see that? I guess. <laughs> uh, honestly, I think the team is such a great dynamic that uh, you would expect to win those days. Uh, not an easy win because uh, Leicester are not easy to beat. But uh, yeah, I think a two-one win uh, is is really possible if everybody's fit and raring to go. Yeah, well, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go for three-one because I think Leicester's defence can be got at. Um, so that's what I'm hoping for. Although they'll always carry a goal threat about them, uh, particularly now Vardy's back and back yeah. to full fitness. And we, that's not help us. <laughs> yeah, and we know that he tends to do quite well against us. Um, yeah, he likes to play against us for some reasons. Yeah. And and just yeah, lastly before we finish up, I just wanted to ask you what what your thoughts were about the bottom of the table. Um, obviously. You know, Norwich look like they're they're clinging on by their fingertips, but are basically dead and gone. Watford seem to offer a bit more threat, but basically their midfield and defence are not up to the same standard as their attacking areas. Burnley have suddenly remembered that it, it is an option to score goals. Um, Everton, Everton have a game in have one or two games in hand over all their relegation rivals, but look and look and in close to free fall. Leeds, of course. Hoping that sacking Bielsa has limited their free fall, and just just above them, you've got Brentford, uh, who got a hugely needed win at, at the weekend. Um, I mean, how do you see that panning out? Um, I think Brentford will be okay. I saw them a couple of times because uh, the stadium is really next to where I live. Uh-huh. It's a twenty-minute walk for me to the Brentford stadium, actually. So. And also some great football played by them uh, throughout the season. So, and also with Ericsson coming in. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, this, more, you know? well, they're already so dangerous from set pieces. I and mean, one thing you know about Christian Ericsson is he's an excellent set piece taker. So, a, yeah, they have a great signing to be honest. And yeah. So, I'd like Burnley to go down because they're Brexit Burnley. <laughs> Brexit FC, yeah. <laughs> Brexit Burnley. And, uh, uh, Norwich, obviously, is, uh, I think the problem with Norwich is uh, their business plan doesn't uh, allow ready to spend. And uh, every time they go up, uh, they have to come down because they, they can't really spend. So, well, it's also, they don't seem to have a plan about how they're going to play in the Premier League. They seem to sort of try and play the same way as they do in the Championship. Um, like, Brent, like Norwich have to play well to get a result. Mm-hmm. You know, but like, all, I, th- that, that, I mean, that's why they're they're going to go down because all the other teams around there can get a result without playing that well. Like Burnley, mm-hmm. we know can defend and they're they're dangerous from crosses and set pieces. Watford have got three pacey players up front, two of whom are very good finishers if they're fit. So they're always got the potential to score a goal, even though the rest of their team's not great. Mm-hmm. Um, Everton are just underachieving to such a spectacular level that they've got to be able to <laughs> occasionally fluke a result from somewhere. Um, Leeds are missing Bamford hugely, obviously, but have you know Rafinha is a quality quality player, and they've got one or two others as well. And, and Brentford have a very very clear plan and are incredibly dangerous on set pieces as well as being decent footballing side. So Norwich are toast. It's just a case of whether whether Watford, I suppose, can scrape themselves out of out of the bottom three. Um, and then it gets very interesting because, you know, Everton Leeds will be feeling very nervous given their runs of form. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everton, a typical case of uh, big players, big spending, and uh, by result. Yeah, I mean... And also, multiple coaching changes too. 
which doesn't help us at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, also yeah, sacking Benitez the day after he sold your best left back. Bit weird. Just sack him the day before <laughs> and keep your best left back. <laughs> I think he wanted to leave, to be fair. So, But he wanted to leave because he was frozen out by Benitez. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Very yeah, yes, the, the Everton era. Yeah, bizarre, they did exactly the same with the women team. They bought nine players during the summer and then they sacked the coach uh, three months into the season. They bring the French coach and they sack him like uh, <laughs> two months later. It's almost as if there's a, not much of a plan. <laughs> yeah, there's a pattern uh, <laughs> at Everton, basically. Yeah, yeah. Bizarre. Consistent men and women. Okay, well, uh, I think that sort of rounds us out for for this week's podcast. Thank you very much for coming on and joining us, Sylvan, and uh, enlightening us about things that we probably as a listenership don't know enough about. Um, Thank you, listeners, if you've got this far. It's uh, great to know that someone out there is vaguely interested in what we're having to say, and we hope that uh, you got something out of it. And, uh, of course, we will speak to you uh, next week, hopefully with uh, three points for each of our teams in the bag. Um, Oh, yeah. I'm confident that that will be so. Uh, Okay. Well, have a wonderful week, everyone, and uh, we'll speak to you very soon. Cheerio. See you.